Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Medicus. My name is Lauren Heckman, and I am joined here today with our guest, Dr. Eva Parker. Dr. Parker is an assistant professor of dermatology at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She's the president of the Nashville Dermatologic Society and vice president of the Williamson County Medical Society. Dr. Parker practices general and complex medical dermatology, inpatient dermatology, as well as cosmetic dermatology at Vanderbilt. Dr. Parker's academic interests include the health effects secondary to climate change, global health, HIV, dermatoses, and tropical skin disease. She also provides volunteer dermatologic care to immigrant, refugee, and underserved populations in Nashville, Tennessee, at Sloan Health and the Shade Treat Clinic. As well, she provides volunteer telehealth consultation services in Kenya through the Addis Clinic, has taught internationally in resource-limited settings, and is an external supervisor and mentor at the Regional Dermatology Training Center in Moshi, Tanzania. She received her BS in environmental science from the University of Denver, which fueled her interest in how environmental impacts and climate alterations affect health. She is a member of the executive board for the American Academy of Dermatology's Expert Resource Group on Climate and Environmental Issues and co-chairs the group's committee on communication and education. Dr. Parker is also an editorial board member of Elsevier's, the Journal of Climate Change and Health, a member of the International Society of Dermatology's Committee on Climate Change, an advocate member of the Medical Society Consultorium on Climate and Health, and a member of the Cochrane Climate Health Working Group. Additionally, she serves on the mayor of Nashville's Sustainability Advisory Committee and is the co-founder and chair of the Environmental Sustainability Working Group at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Dr. Parker actively publishes, lectures, and speaks at regional, national, and international meetings on the dermatologic effects of climate change and the intersection of climate change and global health. She's a staunch advocate for both climate justice and healthcare sustainability, actively promoting broader education on the health impacts caused by climate change. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Medicus, Dr. Parker. Thank you so much, Lauren, for having me and for giving such a warm introduction. It's really an honor and pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I'm so excited to talk about this topic, and that was such an impressive introduction. Um, I know that we touched on you studying environmental science in your undergraduate degree, but I'd love to start off by asking you when your love for environmental science and sustainability was born and how you were able to combine that with medicine. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I grew up, I grew up in Nashville, outside of Nashville, actually, in a more rural community. And I was lucky enough to grow up on 300 acres of land. And it was amazing and beautiful. And I was constantly surrounded by nature. My father always um, talked about nature in um, 
in this very beautiful way, um, always referring it referring to it as mother nature and really instilling this deep sense of love and respect for all things in the natural world. And so for me, that really framed my perspective about how we live in our environments and how we are, uh, have a reciprocal relationship with our environment. And as that evolved, as I grew older, I, I was always a science nerd. And so it became um, pretty clear to me that I would, <laughs> I would do really well in environmental science. And so that's what I went off to college to study, really actually thinking that I was going to be an environmental attorney, not necessarily thinking I was going to be a physician. And so interestingly, as, as um, I went through my years as an undergrad and I loved environmental science, I realized I needed more human contact. And so I decided that um, I thought medical school would be a really great thing for me. I love helping people and had just a tremendous amount of empathy. And so I decided to go to medical school. Uh, interestingly, you know, in the late 90s, when I started as an undergrad, no, sorry, excuse me, I'm, I am making myself younger than I am in the early 90s when I started as an undergrad. Uh, there weren't really a lot of conversations about health and climate change. There were certainly specific scenarios where we discussed it like Love Canal, but the conversation was very different and very basic um, compared to how we talk about climate and health today. And so it wasn't until much later in my medical career that I started to sort of connect the, connect the dots between health and environment. Yeah, I feel like it's becoming more of a conversation now, but it should be more prevalent in especially how physicians practice and um, our understanding of how diseases are presenting now. So that's really wonderful that you're able to um, have that exposure and uh, your dad instilled that love of nature for you. That's really, that's a really sweet beginning. Um, we, so we met because you gave a wonderful lecture on dermatology and climate change to an elective at my medical school, touching on this topic of um, combining uh, climate change and um, being a physician. Would you be able to share with our listeners a little bit about what that lecture was about? Yes, absolutely. That was so fun for me to be able to come back to Loyola because that's where I first started my career as an academic dermatologist. So for me, it was a treat to be back and, and to get to lecture the students. And I was asked to speak specifically on dermatology, which is my specialty. And so we covered a really broad range of topics, ranging from like flood-related dermatoses and flood-related infections to heat-related illness to the impacts of air pollution on inflammatory skin disease. We also discussed vector-borne diseases and neglected tropical diseases, many of which have dermatologic manifestations. We also importantly covered vulnerable populations and reviewed a little bit on environmental justice. And I always try to shape my my talks, at least um, at the end through that lens, because it's such a critical way to view the inequities that climate impacts have on health. I really found it so fascinating, your, your lecture, with just a really small experience that I've had in, I 
grew up and I'm from Southern California and Los Angeles. And even in the past five years, uh, there's been uh, because of the changing climate. And then um, I think just travel uh, across across the Pacific, there's now a species of mosquitoes that weren't there before. And people don't realize that unless you're researching it, or maybe you're more astute mm-hmm. and you're, you're noticing it. Um, it's, you don't think like, oh, I, I'm, I'm getting more bug bites. Or you might not think like, oh, if you got a tick bite in a certain part of the country that those regions are expanding of certain certain like ticks and diseases that you can get from the environment. Um, but it's happening and it's, it's affecting all of us around the country. And uh, I know you mentioned you're seeing it more in practice. Do you see it happening more and more frequently now? Yeah, I, I certainly do. And you're exactly right. I think that the average person doesn't necessarily connect climate change with their everyday lives and their everyday exposures. And for instance, with ticks, you know, we've seen an explosion in Lyme disease and, and the range of the Exodes scapularis tick has greatly expanded. And now we're seeing transmission of Lyme disease well into Canada where it was never endemic before. And with mosquitoes, West Nile virus is a great example of how, you know, 20, 25 years ago, there was zero West Nile virus in the United States. And I think the first case was reported in 1999. And now it's the most common mosquito transmitted illness in humans in the United States. And that's happened in the matter of two decades. And so it really is illustrative of how much a warming planet and extreme weather events like flooding can impact those vectors and how those vectors then can transmit disease to humans. In Nashville, where I am, ticks have always been around. You know, I I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the woods and I've had my fair share of tick bites in my life. But what we're seeing is ticks are emerging earlier in the year and they're surviving longer. And many times they're surviving over the winter season because the frost cycle has changed and winters are no longer cold enough to kill the ticks. And so they're surviving and reproducing longer. And what that means is more ticks and more opportunity for those ticks to bite us. Ticks are only active when it's above freezing. So the more days we have that are warmer, the more active the ticks are and the more they're out looking for a meal. And that means we're seeing greater tick-borne illnesses. And I'm certainly seeing that in my everyday practice. As a dermatologist, I do a lot of full body skin exams for skin cancer screening. And it's a routine a joke in my clinic that I quote, find a mole with eight legs. And that's because someone has a tick stuck somewhere on them that they didn't even know was there. And I'm seeing those ticks now often in January and February when I'm doing skin exams. And historically, that wasn't something I would see until say this time of year, like April or May. And then everyone complains about their allergies. And, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of um, something that you have to get used to if you move to Tennessee that you will, if you've never before had, you will have seasonal allergies, but everyone's allergies are getting worse and we're seeing more atopic disease as a result. And that's also due to climate change. And for the same reasons as we're seeing increased ticks is the frost cycle has changed. And now pollen producing grasses and plants like ragweed are 
emerging sooner. They're the they're dying off later, and the CO two in the atmosphere is actually supercharging their antigenicity. And so, people's um, seasonal allergies, and thus they're a topic. Uh, dermatoses are actually much worse because of that. It's so interesting that you bring that up because actually in the elective that you lectured to, someone did a presentation on how uh, the pollen season is increasing. And there's a ton of different ways to look at that, which is which you're bringing up the most important, the health effects of that, that people are experiencing their allergies uh, for a longer period of time. And then also uh, she talked about how much more costs the people are spending more money on Claritin and it's, it's subtle and it's not, I mean, as an everyday person, you know, maybe you're going through your routine and it's later in the year that you're experiencing um, your allergies, but it's also, it's going to become much more apparent. And I, I, I do wonder if people are, are noticing it more and know that it's these climate change related effects. I feel like the the conversation in media is always about, oh, the the planet's warming or there's going to be extreme weather events, but people don't realize how that impacts their health. Yeah, I think it's increasing in conversation. And certainly I use it as an opportunity to educate my patients. When I do find a tick on them, you know, I I I take that chance to say, you know, ticks are getting worse because of climate change. You need to be really careful and use your insect repellent even in the winter months because you can still get ticks um, because our temperatures are now warmer or when they are complaining about their allergies or they're having an atopic dermatitis flare. I again, use it as an opportunity to talk about a warming planet and climate change and how that impacts their health and what they're seeing. And then I try to give them tools to use to protect themselves and to be more aware. I often encourage my patients to check apps for UV indices, air quality, and heat, and and to use those apps to plan their outdoor activities, especially if they have underlying risk factors or comorbid diseases. And a lot of sun protection counseling, which dermatologists do uh, you know, almost on autopilot all day long with our patients because we're constantly um, concerned about skin cancer. So a lot of that sun protection counseling is actually um, very aligned with heat protection counseling. And so I found it very easy to incorporate a sentence or two in my routine um, patient education about heat as well and remind patients Hey, do your outdoor activities really early in the morning because you can beat both the hunt, the sun and the heat. And I remind them that all of their sun protective clothing, like broad brimmed hats and lightweight UPF clothing actually helps protect from heat as well as sun. Especially my older patients, I remind them a lot about their comorbidities and that they're much more susceptible to the effects of heat because of altered thermoregulation and often comorbid disease and concurrent medications that may further alter their thermoregulation. Yeah, I feel like that's incredible and great for people to know. I feel like I, I every time I go to the dermatologist, they're always you know, wear, wear SPF every day, but if, if the, if it's heating up in certain areas and you're having more UV exposure, then you have to be really diligent with that. Um, we, 
we kind of touched on this, but I loved this, uh, this quote from a cover article for Dermatology Digest, which you said, the skin is our largest organ and is the primary interface with the environment. So I would argue that dermatologists should be a large part of the conversation about how climate is impacting health. Um, I know we talked about how you've kind of modified your practice to add these toolkits for um, patients, but how do you feel that recently, maybe in like the past four years, that climate change has affected uh, the dermatological specialty? You can speak on your experience from Nashville or just as a whole yeah, you're, you're exactly um, right uh, with that quote. Skin is our largest organ, and, and so it is our primary barrier against the big, bad world. And it's not a stretch for dermatologists to quickly realize this and for many dermatologists to intuitively understand the environmental impact. I think it's also important to make out that many systemic diseases have cutaneous manifestations. And when you reflect on the fact that climate change affects every single organ system and increases disease in every single organ system, we also begin to appreciate increased cutaneous manifestations of those climate-sensitive systemic diseases. And so dermatologists sort of see it from both aspects, not only direct impacts on the skin, but as indirect manifestations of systemic disease. And so dermatologists are used to putting complex puzzles together. And so I think that we have been one of the specialties that has been vocal and has been leading on this conversation of climate and health. And uh, the we have a number of societies and organizations that are actively involved. As you mentioned in the introduction, I co-chair the American Academy of Dermatology's expert resource group on climate change and environmental affairs. And we do a lot of advocacy and education for our membership within the American Academy of Dermatology and, and beyond as well, and are looking at many different aspects of how climate change affects the profession and practice of dermatology. I'm also on the Committee for Climate Change for the International Society of Dermatology. And that committee is more focused on examining actual disease related to climate impacts and identifying trends and actively publishes on that topic. And then I think, um, you know, as you, as we touched on earlier, we're seeing it in our everyday practices as dermatologists and the effects on skin are really broad and very wide ranging. And one thing about climate impacts is this, is that the impacts of, of climate change are going to vary by region. So even in the United States, we see differential impact. So for instance, you mentioned California, where you grew up. So if you live on the West Coast, you're going to be much more susceptible to drought and to wildfires. And so dermatologists or physicians in general practicing in those areas are likely going to see climate-related impacts that are specific to those extreme weather events. For instance, in dermatology, we've seen because of these drought and precipitation cycles, we've seen increased episodes of coccidiomycosis. And with wildfire smoke, we've seen exacerbations of 
really common inflammatory skin diseases, most notably atopic dermatitis and acne. If you live on the coastal areas in the eastern part of our country, you're going to be more likely to see hurricanes and flooding and sea level rise. And so flooding related dermatoses and infections are much more likely to affect the population. And that may be what dermatologists see more, say, if you live in Texas or Louisiana or Florida. In addition, in those coastal areas, warming Ocean water has led to increased cases of Vibrio vulnificus and necrotizing fasciitis and sepsis and death. We've seen increasing infestations with insects um, and uh, more vector-borne diseases, especially in Texas. And then also we've seen increases in things like jellyfish envenomations and other marine injuries because the warming ocean waters are conducive to overgrowth of those organisms. And then if you live in, in a place like Nashville, where I live, we see a lot lot of flooding as well, but it's inland flooding. And that's different than the saltwater flooding that you might see on the coast. And so we have a whole host of infections that we can see as a result of inland flooding. And in addition to that, we see um, a lot of tornadoes in um, in the Southeast and especially in, in Nashville where I live. And there's been you know, really um, rare infections that have been reported in trauma victims after tornadoes, uh, rare fungal infections like zygomycosis. And in addition, we see a tremendous impact on psychodermatology. So when you think about how traumatic these weather-related events are and how people lose their homes they may lose loved ones. The community can be completely devastated. The mental health aspects are so important. And there, there's a, a number of research studies out there showing that actually uh, the, the grieving process and recovery process after extreme weather events is much longer and much more delayed. And we see because of that protracted grief and the anxiety and the depression and the other mental health exacerbations that come with extreme weather events, a number of dermatologic related presentations of mental health illness. We call that psychodermatology. And we see things like neurotic excoriations and other factitial dermatoses, delusions of parasitosis, parigonodularis. But in addition, we also see stress-related exacerbation of common cutaneous inflammatory diseases like psoriasis and eczema and acne and seborrheic dermatitis. So the effects are really broad and somewhat regional. So depending on where you are, you may, as a practicing dermatologist or in general as a practicing physician, see different health-related impacts from climate change. Yeah, it's so multifaceted and so dynamic. And you know, as someone that's affected by, like you said, a, a tick that's having a longer um, season. So it's they that's one an individual person uh, talking to you, and you're able to educate them. But it's probably hard for uh, the general public to put these dots together, like that climate change is having these psychological effects have on their health, and then um, exacerbating what these diseases that are also being newly presented because of climate change as well. 
And so it seems really important and really wonderful that you're working with so many different organizations in Nashville and internationally to educate people on this. I think it's a really important topic in that so people can be a little bit more prepared and also understand that it's not just, okay, what's in the media about how climate change is going to affect what the weather is like in December? How's that going to affect my health? Not just UV exposure, but how that's going to affect my allergies and um, new diseases that I might be exposed to. And I didn't even think about the, the ocean effects with the, that's so interesting about the, the jellyfish. I had, I, that's something that never would have crossed my mind, but so interesting that you're, um, you're seeing that more in your practice and people are seeing it internationally. Kind of good segue into my next question, which is for uh, medical students and future physicians, what should what are some of the ways that they should be considering the changing climate and how that will affect their patients and um, possibly the presentation of certain diseases? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know how if you buy a red car, all of a sudden you start to notice all the other red cars on the road. And you know, you could use that analogy with almost anything, but I think it's true here. The more we create a climate literate workforce. In healthcare, the more we begin to observe the impacts of climate change in our individual patients and can help contextualize climate change with respect to disease for our patients and for our communities. I think we underestimate in medicine and especially young physicians and student doctors underestimate the power of their voice. And you are a trusted voice when you are a nurse or a physician or someone working in healthcare. And, and that remains true despite, you know, some of the hits that I think public health has taken during the COVID pandemic, but we still remain trusted and respected voices. So use that voice for good. And it's an amazing opportunity for any physician or medical student to grasp and to take climate-related education into the community, because it's part of our duty as physicians to educate our patients on these effects. Unfortunately, as physicians, we haven't been well-educated ourselves. So I think first step is we have to become climate literate, and then we have to take that and translate it to our patients and our communities. There are a number of community initiatives around the country that are looking at this, and there are a number of toolkits as well. In fact, the CDC has a great toolkit for community health and resiliency with respect to climate change and how you adopt that and, and apply that to your community is going to vary depending on the composition of your community, your regional location, et cetera. Um, but those are really important um, I think those are really important steps that that any physician or any medical student can take is to educate themselves and then educate the community and educate their patients. Yeah, I think that's so true. And there's so many ways that medicine's always changing all the time. I think something that's also become more prevalent in conversation is that there's an aging population. And so geriatrics is should be understood more for all specialties that diseases also present differently in different aged individuals. But yeah, I think it's it's really important for medical students to understand that 
the world that we are going to experience after once we're practicing attendings or even in residency is going to look a lot different than it is now. I mean, the climate's changing quicker than any of us really want to admit. And um, so I'll definitely have to check out the CDC toolkit and maybe I can provide a link to that in the, the bio of this episode for, for students too, and for pre-med students as well. If they're interested. With that, other than these toolkits that you that you brought up, are there any ways, other ways that medical students can get involved in this conversation and um, like similar to you, bridge the gap between environmental science and medicine? Absolutely. First, I, I want to quote Gandhi, who said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I can't think of really better inspiration for getting involved. And as young doctors, it's so important that you all are receiving education and exposure to how critical social determinants of health are to how we practice medicine, how we do research, how we conduct clinical trials, and to also understand that there is key intersectionality between those social determinants of health, environmental impacts, and environmental justice or environmental racism. And for you all to really understand that Those are deeply rooted problems, not only in our country, but globally, that have to be incorporated into the care we deliver to patients and in our future research. If we want to build communities that are resilient and do so in a just way. And so things you can do at this early juncture in your career I think are many options, many opportunities. So for example, at your school, um, if you haven't already done so, then I would suggest completing a planetary health report card. The latest report was just released and shows that of the participating schools, the vast majority do need to ramp up their efforts in terms of education and curriculum sustainability, as well as teaching about social determinants of health and environmental justice. I think only a handful of schools got an A or a B and the rest were C plus or worse. So I, I think, um, I think all of us in medicine, you know, we're sort of gunners. So I would, I I would argue most of us would see a C plus as a bad grade. And in a, along those same lines, like look around you to identify opportunities to reduce waste and partner with your school or department on sustainability efforts. You know, we need young, creative, innovative minds thinking about healthcare decarbonization. It's a really important initiative. And we didn't really get into it earlier, but I will say that while physicians and healthcare is charged with addressing the health impacts of climate change were also a major contributor. And the healthcare sector, especially in the industrialized world, is is really a very carbon-heavy sector. And globally, approaching um, about 5% is what healthcare contributes to greenhouse gas emissions annually. But the United States healthcare sector contributes 25% of that global total. 
And so we have a lot of work to do to clean up our own act. And an easy thing you can do as a student is to look around you and see the waste that's happening and create initiatives that minimize that. Another thing that we that I would suggest is the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education's new initiative called Climate Resources for Health Education. This initiative addresses the gap in medical education by creating a repository of learning objectives, case studies, and lecture slides. And these can be easily integrated into pre-existing residency or medical school curricula. And medical students and residents are the backbone of content generation for this project. And I would encourage you all to participate. I've been a faculty mentor and supervisor for some of the dermatology content, and it's really been very fun and rewarding. And I think it's going to be an amazing resource that's going to be free and online and available literally to anyone in the world who wants to use this. But be a part of that initiative and help generate that educational material so that we can achieve that climate literate workforce that we really we really need to have. And then I would also say to join your school's chapter of medical students for a sustainable future. And if your school doesn't have a chapter, start one. And then lastly, we need more climate health research. So reach out to faculty at your school or at other schools, especially in, in medical specialties that you have an interest and ask if they are doing climate relevant research and ask to be a part of that. Those are all such amazing suggestions and tangible things that medical students can do. So really no excuse now to anyone listening to to do better for the climate and be, yeah, be like you said, be the be the change that you want to see in the world. I, I think that's such a wonderful quote that applies to so many things in life, but the climate gets better starting with individual acts and people coming together to really um, take responsibility for what's going on. So, and I think like you said too, yeah, medical students are such gunners and this is something that we can gun for. This is something we can really um, make better. I'm I'm excited to check those things out. I'll make sure to link all those resources in, in the bio for people that are interested. I'll have to check if Loyola has um, some of that and where our report card's at too. So the last question that I can wrap us up with is a lot of our listeners are pre-medical and medical students. What is some advice that you may have for our listeners who are interested in medicine and specifically dermatology? I would say that medicine remains a great field, but we need bright, curious minds to lead us forward as we face the largest threat to human and planetary health. And so for dermatology specifically, it is a very competitive specialty. So if you're interested in dermatology specifically, I would suggest joining your school's dermatology interest group and express your desire to pursue dermatology to the department chair and the program director at your school. Reach out to faculty for research opportunities and seek mentorship from current dermatology residents. I think regardless of what specialty you go into, I think that's wise advice regardless of specialty. And then this is key. Being a physician requires more than just good grades and good board scores and research on your CV. Empathy, 
your engagement with your community and commitment to the underserved, relentless curiosity, and your grit and resiliency when times are hard are, in my opinion, far more important. And those characteristics are what separate a good doctor from a great one. That's such wonderful wisdom. And I think also really key in all of us, whether people listening are still thinking of becoming uh, future doctors or really for anyone that we, we have to have a lot of grit and resilience in this climate crisis too, that it's a lot of times when we hear news on where the climate's at, it's easy to be pessimistic or negative about what's going on. But the way that we make it better is by really committing to make change. And despite, you know, maybe some of the negative news that we see to have that grit and resilience to make things better. That was such wonderful advice. So thank you so much, Dr. Parker. Thank you. And thanks for being on Medicus and for taking the time today to educate our listeners on such an important topic. And I'll, again, make sure to link all the resources that you spoke about today so people can really, no excuse to not get involved. I hope you are doing well and thank you again. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to be here today and to chat about these really critical issues. And I just want to close by reminding everyone that human health is planetary health. So please get involved. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.